to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. We're so glad that you're with us. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Want to give a big shout out to American Family Radio for leading the charge with this program to go to the isolation that caregivers feel. That's one of the most crippling things that we as caregivers struggle with is isolation. And you could be isolated in a crowded room. You could be isolated on a crowded pew. Isolation is not just physical. Disease and affliction and illnesses of all types tend to separate us. We saw that globally with COVID, but caregivers have been dealing with this for a very, very long time. And this program goes into that isolation, but there's a greater isolation. That's our spiritual isolation. As bad as our physical and emotional isolation is, our spiritual isolation is more severe and God made a way. And the gospel is, is that he penetrated into our hopeless estate, our isolated estate. And that's what the name Emmanuel means, God with us. It means he's going to be with us. He came to dwell among us and he calls us by name and we hear his voice and we know him and we are understood by God. That's the gospel. And everything we talk about on this program is a subset of that. If you're not a family caregiver, you're going to get something out of this program, but this program is not designed for you. It's designed for those who are putting themselves between a vulnerable loved one with chronic impairments and even worse disaster. And I am here to go to that person who feels so cut off and so lonely and so discouraged and let them know, whoa, first off, you are seen you are heard, you are understood. Far more than, than me seeing it, God sees it. And this is where we start, okay? Hopeforthecaregiver.com. I want to pivot real quick. There was a term that Rush Limbaugh used many years ago. He coined this phrase, drive-by journalist. He used to mock the media in this country and call them drive-by journalists. They would just drive by something, lean out the window, and write a commentary about it or opine about it but not bother to get out and investigate they just kind of oh okay now i understand i just drove by now i understand it and i can offer my brilliance to that particular issue without ever you know bothering to do any type of investigatory work i borrowed that phrase and i modified it to a phenomenon that we as caregivers receive in that same vein, I call it a drive-by diagnosis. And this is to describe people that just intersect with us and they spout off quick judgments and half-baked medical advice, and regardless of whether they know what's going on or not, or if they have any expertise or not. You know, and you'll hear things like, uh, well, have you tried this particular drug? Or do you know about this? Or they'll uh, talk about this, uh, uh, somebody I know who's taken this, or this, this doctor, whatever, and they swear by this, and you'll hear that a lot. Or you'll hear about the latest multi-level marketing hawks who have the latest miracle extract. And this one is from a berry that grows in some guy's backyard in New Guinea, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, it's just there's no end to this. Then some of these people will delve into the spiritual. Well, what 
did you do that God would do this to you? That this suffering, this affliction that you have is resulting from some hidden transgression. And you, they want to somehow speak on behalf of the Almighty. You ever spend any time in the book of Job? Because that's what the book of Job addresses. These guys sitting around trying to opine and speculate on why Job had to suffer the way he did. None of them ever got it right. They had no clue about what was going on in the heavenlies. And the closest one that got it was the young man who they kind of derided because he was young. I think his name was Elihu. But at the end, when God reveals himself to Job through the whirlwind, he commands those other guys to have to make an offering and get Job to pray for them, lest he visit this stuff on them. He was pretty upset with those guys for their blathering on about stuff that they had no knowledge of what was going on. And yet we get these drive-by assessments in our life of people who want to somehow make sense out of what they look at in our lives as those of us who care for people with afflictions when they don't get better. This is the 40th year since Gracie's car wreck. And she's facing her 86th surgery next week. And people look at this, well, you know, why, why would God allow this? Or they want to speculate on it to us. And we've had many people over the years that have tried to reason out why God did this to Gracie. Now, they don't do as much anymore uh, because, number one, I'm... I'm a second-degree black belt. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just Well, I am a second-degree black belt, but um, no. I, I, I've i learned how to deal with those kinds of people a little bit better than I used to. But see, we tend to be desperate when we're going through. There's a, there's a phase that we go through as caregivers. If you're any kind of long-term caregiver at all, you're going to go through that phase where you're just clinging to anything, grasping at any straw. People will say, oh, you need to try this specialist, you need to go see this doctor, you need to go to this place, you need to try this particular elixir, or you need to go see this faith healer, and man, they'll, they'll point you all over the place. And if you listen to them, you'll be chasing every mirage out there in the desert of suffering. That's no way to live. And it takes a while, but eventually, the narrative changes for us as caregivers. We we stop trying to just survive it and hopefully, okay, this is it. Okay, we, get, we just got to get through this and then we can get on with our life. Well, this is our life. 40 years of this, this is our life. And we're not chasing the shoulds and the must. And we're not building relationships with people that just want to drive by and hurl things at us. Well, you need to try this or you need to pray against this particular demon of sickness or you go see this guy on television and place your hand behind the television and feel the power or whatever. I've heard it all, done it all, you know, freely admit it. Don't have any, without any embarrassment, because Gracie and I have been in those places of such desperation that we'll clean anything, but we miss the point where we just cling to God and trust him in this. I don't want to continue to live teetering on the edge of panic you ever feel like you're sitting in a chair and it kind of you're you're leaning back in the chair and it almost falls and you catch yourself you know that's the way i feel all the time (laughs) you know and and 
that's no, that's no way to live. Scripture is very clear on this. This is not how we should live. And we will have things in this world that are very, very, very painful. Now, every time we have something painful, do we just freak out? And do our friends come along and speculate, well, why did you hit your thumb with the hammer? You know, what sin in your life did you do that would cause you to stub your toe? You see how ridiculous that becomes when you really play it out for what it is? It's not that we're fatalistic. It's just that we understand this is life. And God in his wisdom has chosen to allow Gracie and I to live this way. Now, what are we going to do? Are we going to listen to all the drive-by diagnoses that come our way? Are we going to sit there and fret and fume? Or do we trust him to recognize that the one who came to us, who penetrated into our isolation, whose name is Emmanuel, that he's with us in this, is going to sustain us through it and ensure that we arrive in glory with him. Now, I rarely speak for Gracie, but I will speak for Gracie on this one. This is what we both believe. That as my mother loves to quote that scripture, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He shall rejoice over thee with singing. And that is hope for the caregiver. We got to take a break. We'll be right back. By the way, speaking of diagnoses, I've invited a wonderful guest to be on this program, a, a medical doctor who has triple board certification in internal medicine palliative care and geriatric care so she's going to share some thoughts she's on the road so if you hear a lot of static and so forth in the interview just be family and we'll get through it together this is peter rosenberger this is hope for the caregiver we'll be right back in recent years christians have seen an accelerated assault on not just our core beliefs but their very foundation now is the time to build on that foundation, strengthen our faith, and learn how to translate our beliefs into actions that engage the culture around us. That's the purpose behind this year's Pray, Vote, Stand Summit, Believe and Engage. Pray, Vote, Stand Summit is a national gathering of spiritually active, governance-engaged conservatives, or SAGECONs. We'll hear from Christian leaders, worldview experts, government officials, and more. We'll discuss important issues like the sanctity of life, religious freedom, protecting students, strengthening families, praying for our nation, and how you can impact America's future from a biblical worldview. Together, we can believe and engage. Join us September 15th through 17th in Washington, D.C. for this pivotal event. Register now at prayvotestand.org. That's prayvotestand.org. I'm Rick Scarborough, and this is my take. There are over 3.3 million American students covered by outrageous school administration mandates that block parents from being informed about their child undergoing gender transition while at school. It's legal for nearly 6,000 schools across the country to encourage children to undergo a life-altering gender transition without parental consent. But if the Biden administration gets its way, that will turn to 73.8 million students. Think about the horrifying impact this would have if allowed. It would give every school in the country a blank permission slip to help confused children make destructive decisions about life-altering long-term consequences. I'm Rick Scarborough, and that's my take. For more information, go to recoveramerica.com.
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. I'm joined today by a special guest, Dr. Elizabeth Landsberg. She is triple board certified in internal medicine, geriatric medicine, and palliative care medicine, and also the founder of Elder Consult Geriatric Medicine and Dr. Liz Geriatrics, which I like her name there, Dr. Liz, and we're glad to have you with us. Dr. Liz, I will call you Dr. Liz. Welcome to the program. How are you doing? Well, thank you, Peter. I am doing wonderful today. I have got a good Wi-Fi connection, and I'm so excited to talk to you and your listeners because, you know, thank you for the work you do on top of your absolutely full plate. You know, this is important information and support to get out for many families. Well, let's jump right into it. Tell me, what do you see when you look out across the country on our healthcare system? Well, you know, there's many levels that we could talk about. We could talk about big business taking over and the monopolization of like our prescription drugs are two and a half times more expensive than other countries that a lot of private um, organizations have bought up rural hospitals and then closed them down. Um, that doctor's offices have been bought up and then access to care, as well as insurance, you know, denying um, needed procedures and also making doctors jump through hoops just to get authorization for common medications is really making a difference. Oh, and I didn't even mention, you know, all the stress of COVID. Um, but I, I would want to focus on, you know, the dementia aspect of it. You know, we've got the silver tsunami. I'm at the end of the um, baby boomers. and where the, the number of folks over the age of 80 is going to be increasing quite a bit. I mean, on, on the one hand, we're blessed that we're living longer. You know, my grandpa died when he was 62. Um, but on the other hand, the incidence of dementia over the age of 65 is 10%. Over the age of 85, it's 50%. So we just have to be ready. Um, and I find families really struggle when someone's behavior starts to change, their thinking starts to change, particularly if they've been wealthy or powerful or always in charge, you know, no one wants to challenge them, but they might start, you know, uh, taking risks like, you know, paying for a contractor to come in who just walked in off the street and that can cost thousands of dollars or someone can swindle them or get access to their bank account. Um, or, you know, the other thing that's heartbreaking is to see that when someone's um, brain starts to have damage, that that changes their personality. It can make them more irritable. It can make them more irrational and um, delusional or paranoid. And then people start to say, well, you know, Uncle Joe is just a nasty old man and I just don't want to see him. Or, you know, my husband is just being so horrible. I want to divorce him. And I really feel for the elder going through this because, you know, there's nothing inside that says, oh, I have dementia and that's what's causing this. They, they often aren't aware of what's going on. And our healthcare system is not set up for elder people. Uh, there's only 3,500 geriatricians in the country of 330 million people. So you're not going to get doctors who recognize that there's a problem. They might just say, oh, well, Uncle Joe is kind of old and, you know, that's just the way it is. Or if they do the testing, you know, the mini mental status exam or the MOCA, you know, as long as your test score is over 24, they'll say, yep, you're okay. But you can have lost your capacity to take care of your medical issues, to take care of your financial issues. And you can end up in ruin. Um, 
with a score of 30 over 30. So uh, my hope well, is to you mentioned get something out to the families. Yeah. You mentioned something um, in a conversation we had earlier that criminals recognize this before <laughs> others. Tell right. me about that. So that is, that is one of my talks, uh, criminals diagnose dementia faster than doctors. And it's not because, you know, they're just better clinicians. I don't know about you, but I've gotten a bunch more scam emails and such now that I am, you know, over 50. And so it, they're, they're fishing. And what they do is they, they might, you know, there's, there's one scam of, you know, send in $50 and we'll send you a big flat screen TV or give us, you know, information on your bank account, and we're going to wire you a million dollars. It's the inability to have that risk sense. And it doesn't mean that if you fall for um, a financial scam that you have dementia, uh, it can happen to a lot of people who don't have it as well. Uh, You know, look at Bernie Madoff. Um, What a great name, huh? And um, made off with a lot of money. (laughs) He certainly did. Uh, But if you've lost your judgment and insight and your ability to uh, calculate and your, your reasoning, then you're at much higher risk. And so the quick and dirty thing that I do when I meet people is I ask them, what kind of medical problems do you have? What medications do you take? Draw a clock that says 11, 10, and calculate 25% of $22.50. So if you can't do those, you're in trouble. I'm concerned about most of the people in this country that can't calculate 25% of $22. Uh, well, but that's I a different you. that's a different issue that we need to I hear you. But but the thing is, you know, when you're talking about someone who's in charge of their retirement accounts mm-hmm. and no one else is helping them with their banking and they can't calculate that you know, there's a problem and something needs to be done. And the challenge is to find a doctor to help. And what I'd suggest, I mean, I'm working to develop an online community to talk about this at drlizgeriatrics.com, where, you know, we'll have kind of the Facebook-like threads to talk about it. We'll have support groups a couple times a month. And then a, um, a training module with CEUs for assisted living, care managers, nurse practitioners, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's in the works, hopefully coming out this fall. But as, oh, and then I got my book. Well, we'll talk about that later. But um, finding help, I think I'd go for an academic medical center with geriatricians, if you can find it. You know, the, the medical schools are probably the best. Oh, and the VA. The VA has got a really good system. I mean, they realized that they were going to have a lot of old soldiers and so they've got, you know, a lot more of the geri- geriatric resources relative. You know, they get castigated quite a bit, but there's a lot that goes on in the VA that is worthy of celebrating and that they get right. I know that they, they, they take a hit from a lot of folks, but just a shout out to them that there are some things that they are doing that are tremendous. I've got a lot of military members in my family who are finding that out and, so, you know, people will always grumble, uh, but let's look for those positive things that we can bank on. Tell us a little bit about your book, Living in the Moment. Well, my mom had dementia, frontal dementia in her 60s. And, you know, when I was younger, it was scary and it was really difficult. Um, and socially, she'd sound fine, but she'd just do these bizarre things and get herself in trouble um, and get people all riled up. 
and well, getting, wait a minute. you you, you know, just described most of my life so I, <laughs> I, I, well, I, no 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 so so I frontal dementia means i hear you um frontal dementia means your judgment is off you socially sound okay so if you just meet her you know at the grocery store you wouldn't know but then you know like she can't take care of the house and you know she's um not paying her bills not taking her medicines those sorts of things that can cause all sorts of problems. Is that what inspired you to uh, not just write the book, but the whole line of medicine that you're in? Was yes. that part of the the driving force behind that? Yeah, that. And then my grandma, who was, you know, this little firebrand, um, she ran a house. My, um, she lived in northern Minnesota. They ran a farm. And she, you know, took care of herself until her late 80s. And then died in when she was ninety six, and so, but she had a lot of aches and pains and medical problems. So I realized that, you know, I wanted to do more for folks who are a little bit more who are having more challenges, um, and so that's how I got into it. And then for the book, I just you know saw that things are done wrong all the time. Like everyone I talk to has got an elder who's either having a whole lot of pain, or I just talked to one woman whose mother was worried about having dementia. And I was like, yeah, I found that my dad was taking Tylenol PM and that's not good. So people don't even know, you know, you go to the the pharmacy and there's a whole wall of Advil PM, Tylenol PM. It's the PM, the Benadryl, that's very anticholinergic and can make someone who otherwise, an elder who's otherwise doing okay, look like they have dementia. So I wanted to get out, you know, there's certain meds you got to stay away from. You got to stay away from the Xanax. You got to stay away from the Ativan. Um, oh, you shouldn't take Motrin or Naproxen long term because they can give you heart attack, strokes, dementia, GI bleeds, and kidney failure. So um, I, I have some of this information on my website, drlizgeriatrics.com. Um, but I, I focused more on the dementia because that's where I found the biggest challenges. Uh, the book reads kind of like what to expect when you're expecting, starting from when you know someone's behavior is just changing and i think that's the most heartbreaking thing for me is to see people describe someone with dementia as just you know um angry old man and we're going to stay away from him or you know you know mom's going to get divorced from dad because he's being awful but dad's got dementia i mean i've seen this a number of times or when there's or particularly if there's like a second younger wife and the wife wants all the money and the older man you know he has got early dementia and you know he's going to need more care to make sure that he's protected. We're talking with Dr. Elizabeth Landsberg, Dr. Liz, drlizgeriatrics.com is her website. Her book is Living in the Moment and she is on a mission to speak health and insight and wisdom into, as we've all heard, the silver tsunami. In my case, it's Arctic Blonde. Uh, Arctic Blonde is the color I'm going through with my hair. This is Peter Rosenberg. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jeff Foxworthy. 65 million Americans serve as a caregiver for a sick or disabled loved one. If you're one of them, then listen to my friend Peter Rosenberger's show. He's got redneck tendencies, but he's really good at what he does. Hello, I'm Don Hawkins, here to tell you about Encouragement Live. 
55 minutes of industrial strength radio encouragement featuring resourceful guests plus practical biblical insights to help you face life's challenges. We'll be taking your phone calls, so plan to join us for Encouragement Live, Saturdays at 7.05 p.m. Central, 8.05 p.m. Eastern, here on American Family Radio. To sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to share the good news of Jesus Christ, that is the mission of the Christian Worldview Radio Program. I'm host David Wheaton, inviting you to join us this Saturday morning at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, as we discuss all matters of life and faith from a decidedly biblical perspective. The Christian Worldview, Saturday mornings at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, right here on American Family Radio. I'm Peter Rosenberger, and this is your Caregiver Minute. When someone we love is hurting, suffering, or impaired, we often leap to action and fight the danger. While that's a good trade in an emergency, it's unsustainable in the marathon of caregiving, particularly in relationship dynamics. That impulse to conquer a problem not only exhausts us, it can simultaneously engage us in way too many battles on multiple fronts. As Don Diego stated to Alejandro in The Mask of Zorro, Oh yes, my friend, you would have fought very bravely and died very quickly. While bravery and action remain important, discretionary valor is equally, if not more, essential as a caregiver. That discretion of knowing when to act, speak, or be still, it comes with time and practice, but it's an important part of our journey in becoming healthy caregivers, and healthy caregivers make better caregivers. This has been your Caregiver Minute with Peter Rosenberger, brought to you by Standing with Hope, a ministry for the wounded and those who care for them. There's more information at standingwithhope.com. The difference between success and failure often comes down to whether or not we act decisively. In the Bible, James 4.17 backs this up when it says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. You see, whether we're talking about our spiritual life or life in general, there's a huge difference between knowing what to do and taking action. In the August edition of The Stand, Ray Rooney takes a deeper look at this and how it pertains to us getting involved in the culture war. He points out that the ones who want to take away our religious freedoms, redefine morality, and ultimately destroy America are taking decisive action. Are you tired of watching our nation being destroyed, evil being called good, immorality being shoved down our throats? If we want to turn the tide of darkness and win the culture war, we have to take action. Sign up for a free trial subscription to The Stand and read Do Your Part in the Culture War at afa.net slash the stand. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver, and I am continuing my conversation here with Dr. Elizabeth Landsberg. She's offering some insights to those of us who are finding themselves in a relationship with someone who is experiencing dementia, aging issues, and so forth. A lot of things happen along the way. Are we prepared for it? I course, I've been a caregiver now for almost 40 years, but I can promise you none of the things I do as a caregiver, I learned while I was studying music. Uh, you know, they didn't teach me that. I'm a <laughs> piano professor. I still talk to him. He's in his eighties now and a uh, great friend. And I, I constantly call him up and say, Hey, Hey, you didn't cover this this day when I was under your tutelage. And that's the way many of us as caregivers are. We don't know. 
We don't know what the interaction with drugs are. We don't know what a misdiagnosis. We don't even know any of these things. We just know that something's not right, but we don't know what to do. Dr. Liz, you find an enormous amount of people that are struggling with that very issue. What do you do? So I have a reach out. So um, I'm on Facebook, Dr. Liz Geriatrics. Uh, but there are the dementia support groups. And, you know, those are the people like I, I still do telemedicine back in California. And I'm the one that they go to when everything else fails, when they've been through four or five doctors. And what we're doing to approach treating agitation is not very successful. Actually, if we're talking economics and healthcare and all, uh, if someone's so agitated, the family takes them into the hospital, the average length of stay is 60 days or $600,000 for one person for one admit. That's not a really good public health program. So uh, in fact, I had one and the, the family's okay with me talking about it. One gentleman who was at you know, the local medical school hospital with the best psychiatrists and those sorts of things. He was there for five months. They said, oh, you should see Dr. Liz. Afterwards, they're like, no, nah, we'd rather have him go over here. And within a week, he tried to choke one of the other residents. He eloped. And when the police found him, he's a doctor. Um, he said he had chest pain and they took him to the ER. So then they brought me in and I started working with him and he was really angry and all over the place. And with adjusting his meds, um, I do not sedate elders. And you'll hear these guru doctors saying, oh, you should never use any psych meds because all they're trying to do is sedate elders and control them. Well, no, what we're trying to do is take an angry edge off and allow them to get the care that they need. So anyway, this gentleman I've taken care of for the last year, he's never gone back to the ER. He's not sedated. So I, I, will, I will give you my magic recipe. The first one is get rid of the wrong medications. So you can find it on my website, drlizgeriatrics.com. Sorry, I'm at Starbucks for the Wi-Fi. You can also find it in the book. And, and there was someone who reviewed my book who said, she speaks about medications too much. I'm like, yeah, because the medications are really important. Someone can look like they have dementia from taking the wrong medication, whether it's Tylenol PM. There's an anti-seizure medicine they like now called Keppra that can make people angry and paranoid. And people are only that way because of the medication. And you don't put on more medication to treat that. You take the wrong medications off. The next thing you do is you treat pain. You know, pain can make people miserable. Pain can make them have depression. Pain can make them just get more angry and reactive. And one of the things that I like to say, my two favorite treatments for agitation are Tylenol and uh, ice cream. Um, well, there you go. The doctor, look, you have a prescription now. The doctor said it's okay to eat ice cream. <laughs> For older people, not for you and me. For older oh, people who well, are just either stressed or not had eating. It. So yeah, close. Yeah. Uh, and then um, I don't use Motrin or Naproxen long term because they can cause heart attacks, strokes, kidney damage, GI bleeds, and dementia. If you have nerve pain, there's medications to help with that. Uh, a low dose of a half a tablet of Norco twice a day for severe uh, arthritis pain often can be really helpful. And I've had no one who's become quite the addict or have trouble breathing or anything like that. You will get in trouble if you're, you know, I've, I've seen some situations where a little old lady with some arthritis was given a fentanyl patch <laughs> and I was brought in and she looked like she was about to die and, and you gotta take off the patch. You've gotta be careful with the high doses, but a very low dose, if you take care of the pain, that's great. And then I use 
no Ativan, no Xanax, um, no uh, medications in the Valium family, because that's like giving them shots of vodka. Uh, it, 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 you become addicted in the same way. Um, but there are other medications that can help. And I'm not going to talk about the specific medications here, but they're on the website, they're in the book. And I, I get 96% of my folks who've got agitation, calm and alert and, and give them quality of life. And so that's what um, the goal should be. I'm not sedating them. Um, and I'm also seeing that if people are in the hospital, the hospitals are desperate to get rid of them. And what they do is they uh, put them on hospice and then sedate them so they don't come back to the hospital. And I find that just unethical. I am horrified at what we do, you know, when it comes to elders that are complicated or, or, if, or if an elder with dementia has a hip fracture, they don't give them any Norco because God forbid, you know, they think it's going to make them agitated or delirious. I was like, I want those doctors to have a hip fracture and then I'm not getting them any narcotics and we'll see how they like it. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let you deal with the ramifications of that. But uh, you remind me of a uh, a bit that Jerry Seinfeld did where we don't have regular strength anymore. Everything is maximum strength. And he said, uh, whatever will kill the human body, back it off a little bit. That's what I want. You know, and we just throw <laughs> pills at anything and everything. And we're not thinking healthy. We're just thinking, make me feel better. Make me feel better for this moment without thinking of the implications of what we're doing and putting in our bodies. Well, part of it is the view of non-geriatric doctors to treating older folks. Like it's easier for the ER doctor to give Motrin than to give a little Norco because, you know, if there's any problems, you know, they don't want repercussions on that. But I'm very disappointed in the MD gurus who are selling their, you know, alternative medicine that they can cure dementia. You know, that if you, and I've, I've seen families spend $10,000 in six months to take $5,000 worth of useless tests and then, you know, be filled up with 31 supplement pills a day that doesn't fix them. And then I get brought in and then I have to fix it. So um, I, I'm very disappointed. There's a lot of, for some reason, a lot of cardiac surgeons are now pushing supplement pills. Uh, I guess it's a lot easier than doing cardiac surgery. But I, I think that um, having a good plant-based diet and 30 minutes of exercise a day can be very helpful. And then staying engaged with family and community is huge. And then finding a doctor who takes the time to kind of help look through all the problems and get rid of the medications you don't like is probably, you know, the recipe for staying healthy and independent as we age. Indeed. And that's something that, you know, we, we mitigate symptoms, but don't treat the whole person, uh, the healthiness of the whole person. And I'm in a lot of doctor's offices um, and I have been since I was 22 and I cringe when I see the caregivers and the patients coming in and it's affecting both. There's always two people affected by some type of long-term impairment. I, I watch my fellow caregivers and I see some of them pushing their aging parents in a wheelchair, but the caregiver is morbidly obese. We're not thinking through this. We're trying to just, okay, we're going to mitigate these circumstances. Then we'll get on with our life, but this is our life. And it's important that we live today as healthy as we possibly can and make those best decisions. But we do get overwhelmed and we don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. Tell us again about your website, drlizgeriatrics.com. 
That's where people can right. go. Can they post questions there? Just ask any. I know you don't well, give so that's coming. advice in that environment. No, no, that's but. that's what's coming. So I want to do a community um, where people can talk about. Well, I'm I'm all about you know people over fifty. You know because we have a youth culture, and particularly women are kicked to the curb when they hit fifty. But um, I call them my fabulous people, fabulous over fifty, and talking about either medical issues or financial issues. I I was on the plane with a woman in her 70s and I was getting divorced 10 years ago or something like that. And she was saying, well, be careful dating over 50 because to a lot of men, you're just a nurse or a purse. <laughs> I that a was nurse great. or a purse. <laughs> so, you know, talking about, you know, what do women have to think about when they're in their 50s or how do we stay strong and healthy? Um, so, yes, there will be places to... Uh, post questions. There will be two support groups a month. There will be a training module that you can do that if, you know, it, to just get the training, but to get the CEU credits for elder care professionals, it's just $15. So we're working to have something sustainable, you know, because I am not seeing things getting better. I'm seeing it. I, I'm seeing a lot more physician's assistants and nurse practitioners. And I've done a lot of training of nurse practitioners. I think they can be wonderful but they are they don't have the same training as the doctor. So a lot of my elders who are really complicated and go to the emergency room in dire crisis get a PA or something like that who misses kind of what's going on. And I'm not saying that they're not good, they're not well-meaning, but they don't have the same training. You know, they don't know they don't know what they don't know. The Rumsfeld's unknown unknowns about what to quite look at. I have concerns about that. So that's why I want to have the community online and that's why I wrote the book. I just wanted to circle back. So treating agitation is one thing. I think pain, I'm really disappointed that our country has taken an attitude that if you're old, you can be in pain. Most people can be out of pain. And I'm not going to go into all the details now, but it's not just Motrin and Naperson. And I, I almost never use morphine as needed. Um, I've been a hospice medical director and boarded in palliative care. So that is also something that I want to discuss more. Um, and well, then we can, the undi- yeah. yeah, we can do that. On I think I'm going to have you back, and we'll talk about some of that because the the pain world. Of course, we're not dealing on a geriatric level at my house, but we the pain world is something that I've spent a lot of time in, and I could see what mm-hmm. it does to people. And I think it's um, mm-hmm. it's affecting so many families. They don't know what to do. Again, they don't know what to do, and that's why I wanted to have mm-hmm. you on today to have this conversation. And let you share your heart. You have done so, Dr. Liz, Dr. That's Elizabeth Landsverk, drlizgeriatrics.com. And we're very grateful to have you here. Please take advantage of her site, her books, and go out and do some research. Knowledge is power. And the mo- the best thing we can do for ourselves as caregivers is to educate ourselves on these things that she's talking about today. Let's don't just blindly walk into these things. Let's let's get some information into our heads so that we can better help those who we care for. Dr. Liz, thank you. Thanks for taking the time today to come on the program. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for your support. You know, how generous to be supporting all those in need in, in addition to all that you do at home. So I, I'm, I'm in awe, uh, you know, it's, well, it's inspirational. You and I share a passion to to take what we know and offer the best we can. And I look forward to more conversations with you. Well, thank you. You have a great day. You too. This is Peter Rosenberg. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. 
I'll never forget walking into the hospital room after Gracie had her second amputation. Both legs are gone now. And she looked at me. She said, I know what I'm going to do. And I was kind of startled. I said, well, what are you going to do? She said, I'm going to help provide prosthetic limbs to my fellow amputees and tell them about Jesus. And I said, well, baby, can we get out of the hospital first? But she never let it go. And for almost 20 years, we've been working out of Ghana, West Africa. We treat patients all over there from other countries that come there. We send supplies. We send teams. We sponsor patients. We work with a prison where inmates volunteer to disassemble used prosthetic limbs so we can recycle the parts. All of this because Gracie trusted God with her heartache. We've got a huge shipment of supplies that is being loaded up right now to go out soon. Would you help us do it? Standingwithhope.com slash giving. Standingwithhope.com slash giving. There's prosthetic feet, knees, pylons, sleeves, adapters, all kinds of connectors. All of these things we are sending over there so that people can walk. We're going to point them to Christ. Help us out. Standingwithhope.com slash giving. Hey friends, it's Jessica Peck, Dr. Nurse Mama as your one-minute parenting coach. Do you feel stuck in a rut in conversation with your teen? Are you arguing all the time? I challenge you to try the love your teen method. That's L-O-V-E. L, listen with your face. Give them your full attention. Keep a neutral expression. O, offer open-ended questions. Don't lead with lecturing, but instead cultivate curiosity. V, validate their emotions saying, I see this is really hurting you. Goes a long way in building a relational bridge. E, explore next steps together. Now is the time to step in and offer advice when they're in a better emotionally supported space to receive it. Read more about this in my book, Behind Closed Doors. And I'll see you on the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast here on American Family Radio. When you can't see what tomorrow holds And yesterday is through Remember he knows Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger, and this is the program for you as a family caregiver. And you all know that voice. I love listening to her sing. Strength for everything that you go through. He knows the plans that he has for you, and that is one of the core convictions that we have as we face what we're going to face next week. So as you all listen to this program, we are heading south to Denver, and Gracie is to be admitted again into the University of Colorado Medical Center. They're going to go back and work on her back some more. She developed some complications. Gracie is one of the most complex orthopedic cases out there. That's not my words. That's the surgeons who have treated her's words. And they have to go back and retool this and fuse more and take out another vertebra. It's about a nine-hour surgery again. I am struck by several things as we go into this. One of them is how different this experience is now for us versus my first time going through a surgery with Gracie. And I detail this in the first chapter of my new book, A Minute for Caregivers. It's just these one-minute chapters I put in there. And the doctor came out. I was 22 years old. He said, you can't see her for a while. You need to take a break and you see her a little later. She'll be in recovery for a while. So when he said take a break, I, I took him at his word and I took a break. I went and saw a movie and 
I found out later a bunch of people hanging around got mad at me for that. And they were basically disparaging me. Oh, I can't handle it. They made Gracie cry because they, she, they went and saw her before I got back. I, you know, I didn't know how long she'd be. I, I didn't know anything. And they were pretty hard on me. Weren't related. Remember what we talked about in the first block about drive-by diagnosis? That's what they were. They were just drive-bys who wanted to roll the window down and stick their head out and offer their opinion. And their opinion was worthless because they never lifted a finger to help her in all the years that I've cared for Gracie. And yet they were first on the scene to criticize me. I didn't know anything. I didn't know what to do then. This surgeon that's going to operate on Gracie next week, before going into surgery last year when he did this big surgery on her that we got to go back and repair some things, 20% of the patients that go through this have this type of complication. And his thing is, look, if you can't fix a complication, you don't need to do the surgery. We know what to do. It's just going to be tough for Gracie to get through it. But he said, Gracie, this is going to be tough for the next couple of weeks and months. But about six months to a year, you're going to be really glad you did this. And so we hang on to that. But he looked at me right before going into surgery. And he said to me, don't wait in the waiting room. There's no need for you to put yourself through that. You go relax, go back to your hotel room, just chill out. It's going to be a long day. We've got her. Don't you worry. We've got her. What a contrast of the life that I've lived as a caregiver now for uh, four decades. You do this long enough and you start seeing things very differently. And I appreciate this surgeon very much. I, I like him a lot. I've been around a lot of surgeons and I know that he's bringing his A game and his team is an exceptional team. It's going to be a very challenging September and hopefully only September, but uh, that she won't have to be in there as long as she was last time. She got a post-op infection last time, but uh, we're taking extra precautions. They're admitting her two days earlier, if that gives you any idea of just how serious they're taking this to make sure that she's absolutely in the zone for this. And um, it's a great team, but it's a big surgery. I still keep coming back to that surgeon. I'll never forget the look on his face. This man is going to do things in that operating room that I do not want to see. And they're going to use tools that I don't even want to see to work on Gracie to fix this problem. Now, I don't know anything about this man's personal life, but I'm taking on faith what I've seen what a little bit I've interacted with him and the certification that he has to have in order to do what he's doing, that there's state regulatory boards and everything else that are overseeing this man's credentials to do what he's going to do. And he's going to do ghastly things that I just could not watch to my wife in the OR. And the look that he gave me when he said, Peter, we've got her. You go rest. We've got her. How do you describe that? What that does to you as, as a husband, as a caregiver, to have that level of assurance. And that's only a taste of the assurance that God gives us. When he says, you rest, I've got her. 
You rest. I've got her. Can you receive that today for your situation? Can you look at the pages of Scripture over and over throughout the entire Bible where you hear that same message? Rest. He's got this. He knows your loved one's name. He's got him. He's got her. He's got them. He's got you. The invitation is for us to trust him. And what trusting God looks like is what Abraham did when he said he believed God. He took him at his word. And it was accounted to him as righteousness. Do we believe God? Next week, I will stand in yet another hospital corridor and I'll watch a team of masked individuals wheel my wife past double doors. They'll hit that button and the doors will open. And I'll say goodbye to her one more time. And I will stand there alone in a hospital corridor. And once again, come face to face with that question. Do I trust it? Do I trust it? Do I rest in him? Can I rest? Can I listen to the words of that surgeon that says, don't worry, we've got her. You rest, we've got her. That is the invitation for each of us as caregivers. If we're going to place our trust in God, that's the depth that we go, and then more. By the way, there's more. It's, that's not the bottom of the pool, but that's pretty deep water. And the question becomes for each of us, do we trust him? Can we rest? Sevilla Martin wrote that great hymn, And resting on his goodness, I lose my doubt and fear. His eyes on the sparrow. One of the things that I've struggled with mightily over the years is trusting in the goodness of God. I see such suffering in front of me all the time, and I see the the challenges and the heartache, and it doesn't make sense to me. And it took me into some dark places, and I didn't trust God's goodness because all I saw was the acute pain that was blocking my vision. And I had to get perspective. I was doing my own drive-by diagnosis, as I mentioned in the first block. And I had to get out of the car. I couldn't just lower the window and stick my head out and feel like I understood it. I had to spend some time investigating this. And along the way, I saw and experienced things that totally transformed my life. Things about God that I didn't understand, that I didn't know. And my life has been permanently, forever, changed by what I've experienced and what I've seen. doesn't mean there's no tears or sorrow or grief, because there is. And there will be next week as I stand in that hospital corridor, like I've done for so many times. But I am not alone there. And it's very important for me to say that, and I think it's very important for you to hear me say it. Because some of you are having your own 
corridor that you have to stand in. Some of you are dealing with this and you are overwhelmed by the sorrow and the fear and the despair. And I am somebody that understands that in ways that many do not. And I would tell you with everything in me that next week when I stand there in that corner and I watch her go back into surgery again, I will be thinking about these words that I am not alone. And when Gracie is wheeled into that surgical suite, her surgeons already promised that he would pray with her before they start. God doesn't have to stop at those doors like I do. He's waiting for her there. I thank you for allowing me this moment just to share these things with you. There's a reason I do a show for caregivers. I end with a song that I wrote with a friend of mine called I Can Only Hold You Now. Gracie delivers an amazing performance on this. I'm playing the piano on it. I thought it would be appropriate to end the program with this song. This is Peter Rosenberg. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Here's Gracie. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. Faith. Fa